Uh, church, uh, we're in a series right now uh, that we're just kicking off uh, called Christmas Comes Close. And this is a time when we're celebrating uh, the God who draws near in a socially distanced world. And I just love that picture. I think that we need to hear it so incredibly badly. I need to hear this so incredibly badly. Earlier this week, I was meeting a few contractors uh, uh, here at uh, our uh, Encounter Kenwood building. And as they came up, it was just reminded again, we don't know what to do. We don't know um, how to interact with people. And I don't know how to interact with people. I haven't been around this few people in my entire life. As we strolled into the building, one guy like puts out his hand to shake it. Another guy... Uh, another guy comes up and he does like the fist bump thing. The third guy, we're just like standing around with hands. I'm not taking them out of my pockets. Like we don't even know what to do with our hands when we come up and meet somebody. Like this is the weird times that we're in right now. Socially distanced, a lot of us are drawing and pulling emotionally distant as well. It wasn't supposed to be like that, but if we're honest, it's happening. And so right now, what we want to do as a series, Christmas Comes Close, to recognize that God is a God who draws near even as we're pulling away from each other, even as we're pulling away from some of those that are closest to us. The whole uh, idea behind this message series is, as I guess you could call it, this, this anchor passage from Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Matthew chapter 1 is, uh, is, a, is a chapter in the Bible, starts off the New Testament, and we see Joseph finding out that his fiance Mary is expecting a child, and, and he didn't have anything to do with that, and so what he's going to do is he's going to break up with her and do it quietly. And then this angel comes to Joseph and says, don't. Don't do that because what's inside of her is from the Holy Spirit. They're going to call him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Then we get to verse 23. And we read again in the New Testament this old 700-year Old Testament prophecy that says that they will call him Jesus Emmanuel. God with us. And that's what we're celebrating this morning. We're celebrating the Emmanuel God who's with us here today. And this morning, specifically, what I'd like to do in recognizing the God that's with us is to talk about how God is with us both on the mountaintops and deep down in the valleys. I don't know why it's like mountaintops and valleys, why, where we get these names from. The mountaintop experience is, is an experience when everything is right in the world, everything is good in the world. I don't know. I haven't climbed very many mountains. I don't know if it's like the endorphin rush that you get when you finally arrive at the top of the mountain or the views. Maybe it's just that you're done and you get to go home and have lunch now. That makes it such a great experience. But the mountaintop experience, like I said, it's where everything is just right in the world. It's when you get a raise at work. It's when, it's when the shipping notification tells you that the package that you ordered late is going to get here on time. It's when your team wins. Or maybe your team didn't get a cancellation because of COVID like so many of the other teams. And like now that's the win that we can celebrate. Mount Step experience is when everything is just right in the world. The Valley experience is an experience marked by loss, marked by sorrow, marked by stress, marked by anxiety, marked maybe even by a depression that you think just won't lift. And sometimes, church, sometimes the mountaintop and the valley is emphasized and accentuated when they're in the presence of one another, when you're experiencing these things almost simultaneously. I had one of those. Several years ago, I'm hanging out with a group of friends, 
and it was one of the persons in the group, it was one of their uh, 40th birthday parties, and he was, the, he was the first one to achieve that particular milestone. So we helped him celebrate by roasting him terribly. I mean, we pulled out all the stops on this one, right? We, um, we got him like the, the black cake that's like decorated like the, the graveyard, right, and all the dark. We got him one of those walkers with the little tennis balls at the end of it on the bottom. We got him the shoehorn kind of thing that like you can put your shoes on without bending over, which as I approach 40 now sounds like not such a bad gift, unironically. <laughs> We, we did this whole thing, and we're sharing stories, and we're laughing. Man, we're laughing so hard that our stomachs hurt, and we're starting to, like, tear up with all the joy and all the stories and all the laughter. And then somebody in the group gets a phone call that their kid, their baby, was experiencing hypocardia, which is this, this severe high heart rate that went on for far too long, far longer than anybody was comfortable with in the medical community. And that would eventually lead to a discovery of a heart arrhythmia and would eventually lead to heart surgery. And a child, a child's heart that's like no bigger than one of those little clementine oranges. It's not right. And in that moment, it just it felt like this, this sucker punch to the gut that takes all of the wind out of your stomach, all of the wind out of the room. It's just the joy is gone. And, and, and going from the mountain to the valley with such swiftness made it so much more acute and painful. And I share this story of me years ago because I think that there's somebody probably worshiping online who's experiencing that right now. There's something like about this season that's going on, this journey that you're in right now, that maybe your marriage is a mountaintop, your marriage is good, your, your romantic relationship, whatever status it might be, the place that it's in is just good. But, but, your, but your kids are making just terrible decisions over and over again, and it brings such hurt and such pain to your heart. It's a mountain, but then it's also the valley, and the valley is that much deeper because you were just on the mountain. Or maybe the, the, you've never felt closer to God in this season, like devotions, uh, God time every morning. You've never walked with him in such obedience and such closeness. But the irony of the entire thing is that come December 26, your income is just going to be like shut off. What is that? You're trying to get into the Christmas mood. You're trying to get into the festive spirit. But some of the medical news that you've received recently or the loss of that person that you've experienced just recently just isn't allowing it. And so that's what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about where is God on the mountains. We're talking about where is God in the valley. And this is the thing, church, this is the thing that I have learned. It's that we might enjoy God on the mountains, but we grow close to him in the valleys. 
scripturally, valleys were strange things because scripturally, you open the Bible, you read through it a few times, you start to get this rhythm. You start to understand valleys are referenced in times of struggle. Valleys are referenced oftentimes in, in battles. People would literally struggle, literally fight and battle each other in the valley. Valleys are also times of isolation. Valleys are times of desperation, of wilderness. Valleys are often times of, of, of negative experiences in life. Valleys, though, are also where things grow, and that's the strange part about it, is, is sometimes valleys are where growth happens. Sometimes valleys are where vineyards are planted, where trees grow. Valleys aren't just places of struggles. Valleys are also places to grow. So if you have like one takeaway out of our time together, I pray, church, that you will recognize that while you might enjoy God on a mountain, you will grow close to him in this valley that you're coming into in this season right now. I want to show you what I'm talking about. Let's go to a psalm. Let's go to a song the Psalm 84, and let's just read it through, verses 5, 6, and 7, and we'll back up and we'll make a couple of comments on it. Psalm 84 says this, that blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Zion is like a stand and a euphemism to talk about Jerusalem, the city of refuge. But today we're talking about the Valley of Baca that I had underlined earlier there. See, I'm not sure exactly where the Valley of Baca is. And if you're following along in a translation in, in your Bible, you might read that a little differently. Your Bible uh, translation might render it the Valley of Tears or the Valley of Weeping, the Valley of Loss. And, and we see here in this one, it's the Valley of Baca. It's all, it's all kind of the same thing because it's not so much a name of a place as it is the concept of a place. Uh, Baca is, it's not a specific kind of species of a tree, but it's a, it's a, it's a category of trees. It's a, trees that are kind of called weeping trees. These are mulberries, uh, balsam trees. There are trees, I brought a picture of them, check it out here. There is trees that, that the sap oozes out of them almost as if the Trees themselves are crying, are weeping. The songwriter here is talking about journeying through, pilgriming through the valley of Baca. And it's like not only are the trees weeping, the travelers are weeping as well. It's a dangerous place. It's a place in valleys where things could be hiding around any corner. Uh, Lions, snakes, thieves, people uh, that you can't see behind each twist and each turn. This is, this is the dangerous valley that they're in right now that we're talking about, the valley that you're in that we're talking about this morning. I want to back it up. Let's come to verse 5 make a couple comments on this. Uh, verse 5 started out that blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. Remember, pilgrimage means they're going somewhere. They're going from here to there. They're going from the valley to Jerusalem, Zion, the city of refuge. And blessed is the one, blessed are those as they're pilgriming, whose strength is in you. This is, this is an insightful comment. Get ready. <laughs> is that if you're not following along with God, if you're not following closely to Jesus, the strength that you have is all the strength you have. 
Let me say it another way. If you are traveling closely along with Jesus, if you are following closely in the footsteps of your Savior, of God, the strength that you have, the end of the strength that you have is just the beginning of the strength of God's. I'll give you an example of that one. So years ago, uh, like uh, three, four years ago, there was this guy I met at church here, and uh, he's the toughest guy that I know, the toughest guy I think I've ever met, three tours in Iraq as a Marine. Um, he was doing some private security work. He's also um, fought MMA, mixed martial arts. They called him Iron Man in the ring. You see why he's the toughest guy that I know. So I talked to him. We were doing this Bible study for a little while, and I'm like, hey, man, um, I've never lifted anything heavier than a sack of potatoes. I would like that to change. Can you show me how to get strong like you because you're strong like your life depends on it because your life depends on it when you step into the ring. And he's like, sure, yeah. Uh, meet me at my gym. Gives me the time. We, we show up. We go to the back area of his gym, and, like, the dudes that he knows, the, the other, like, fighters and stuff like that, are, like, taking turns on the, on the equipment. And so you got to wait your turn to get in. And so I wait my turn, and I walk up to the bench press. I hadn't ever bench pressed a thing in my life. Right? He kind of shows me a couple things. He's like, all right, let's, uh, let's just see what you got now. And he puts the bar on me. It's like an empty bar. I'm not kidding. It's almost nothing on it. I can't remember if we even had a single weight plate on it. And he's like, let's see. Let's see what you got. And the, all, the, all the dudes are like standing back, like just kind of watching because they knew when I walked in. He doesn't know what he's doing. So this should be pretty entertaining. And it was. He puts the bar on me. He's like, all right, let's see. And I immediately regretted this entire decision. <laughs> Everybody's watching me. I've just got the bar, and I'm, like, struggling with this thing, you know, get it going. I, can't, I, mean, I get a couple reps in there, and I'm just, I'm done. And he does the thing that spotters do. You know, you've seen it where they're like, all right, let's go, let's go. He's encouraging, which I appreciate. I needed every last bit of it. And, and then as I just run out of gas entirely, nothing left in the tank, and I'm just pushing, but nothing's coming out. No force is happening. He's going, you've got it. This is all you. This is all you. <laughs> And he's just, he he's pulls up on it, and I, and I got nothing else. But it's such a light bar that he doesn't even know that I'm not pushing on it. And so he's just, like, going up and going up. and go, He's like, it's all you. It's all you. It was none of me. Nothing at all. And so the point of the story is that, like, listen, there's these times right, where you just got nothing left to give. I had nothing left to give. But the end of everything that I had was only the beginning of what Iron Man had. You're going through life right now. You're going through a valley right now. If you're following in the footsteps of Jesus, you have got to understand that you have a strength that is so much more than Iron Man's strength. You've got a strength of nothing short than God's own strength. I wanted you to hear that one more time. The end of your power, the end of your strength is only the beginning of God's. Blessed are those whose strength is in you whose hearts are set on this pilgrimage. It's such a beautiful picture. I knew there was something more to it, so I looked up the word in this like uh, word book of the Old Testament that I've got, and, and I just had this sense like on this pilgrimage out of the valley, there's got to be more. I wasn't disappointed. The heart is set. The, the, the word kind of comes on this, on this stubbornness. 
almost belligerence, like heart is set of like, I am not even going to give myself the option of staying here. I've got to move through. I've got to get going on to the mountain, to the city of refuge ahead of me. I will stay on the move. I'm stubbornly belligerent about it. Listen, my, my body might be stuck in this valley, but my heart is set on refuge. My mind might be spinning and stressing and won't quit worrying deeply late at night, but my heart is set on this city of refuge. I want you just to, like, wherever you are, whether you're on the couch watching this on your TV, on your car watching it on your phone, hopefully you're not driving, pull over. I want the production team around the camera operators to text. I want you to say that together. One, two, three. My heart is set. Say that. Again and again, especially when you don't feel it, remind yourself, I am stubborn, I am belligerent, my heart is set, I'm making it to refuge where God is. I will get through this. We will get through this. Verse 6, as they pass through the valley of Baca, the tears, as they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. I want you to notice a couple of things. Uh, number one, to get to the city of refuge, you have to travel through the Valley of Tears. And as they pass through, as you pass through, passing through on this pilgrimage means that the valley is not the destination. That God has something for you here, has something for you to learn, has a way for you to grow here. That this is not the end point. He will not take you this far to leave you here. He's taking you to a place of refuge. There's just something you have to learn. There's just some way that you have to grow while you're here. He says they make it a place of springs, which is a strange expression, isn't it? To make springs. I mean, the autumn rains, they'll bring pools, but you make springs. How do you make a spring? You don't make a spring. Springs just happen. Springs are where water bubbles up from the ground that you can drink and in the pools. You can't make a spring. There just are springs. I guess the only way you make a spring is you get out a shovel and you start digging. If you dig deep enough in a line, it's called a well. If you dig wide and shallow, it's called a pool. See, what people would do as they're traveling along these roads, especially if they're roads that they would plan on traveling again in another season, if, if they're going to the city again and again and, and back and forth, is that eventually somebody would get out a shovel and they would start to dig a little. They would dig like this empty kind of pool area, shallow, in hope or maybe an expectation that the rain would come, that the provision would come eventually, and would, it would fill that pool, and so they came through next time, and they'd have something to drink. Do you know how much faith it takes in the valley to start digging for a provision that you haven't seen yet? Like, if I have an encouragement for you this week, it's to dig. Dig for the provision. 
dig in expectation that God is going to provide the provision once you have a container to hold it in. Start digging. Jesus did this all the time. And it must have been, honestly, it must have been so infuriating for his disciples and the people around it just to like watch it happen again and again. Jesus coming up to people and saying, uh, before I show you who I am, I want to know who you are. Jesus coming up to people and saying, essentially, show me your faith and I will show you my faithfulness. Jesus did this where he comes up to people and he would, he would come up to them. Uh, 38-year-old guy. He's paralyzed since birth. He's never walked. Jesus meets him, and he's lying on a mat, of course. And Jesus comes down next to him, and he says, get up. Get up, Jesus? This guy's never taken a step a day in his life, and you're going to tell him to get up? Yeah, pick up your mat, too, and walk on home. Show me your faith, and I will show you my faithfulness. Jesus meets a guy, a cripple, standing next to a pool that they believed had mysterious healing properties, but you had to be one of the first people to get into that pool. And because of the immobility issues that I mentioned earlier, he couldn't ever be one of the guys to get into the pool. And so Jesus comes up to him that day, and he says, Do you want to be healed? Essentially, show me your faith, and I will meet your faith with my faithfulness. Jesus is on a mountainside, and he's teaching to thousands of people, and his followers, his disciples, notice that they're starting to get hungry, and they're starting to get restless, and and they don't want to see what happens next, what comes next. So they say, Jesus, send the people away. And Jesus says, no, 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 you guys, show me your faith. Go through the crowd, uh, scoop up, pick up any food that anybody is willing to offer. And one kid offers them food. One kid out of the thousands that are gathered there says, here, you can have my lunch. You can have a child's lunchbox. And they bring it to Jesus with their faith. And Jesus meets their faith. Jesus meets your faith with his faithfulness. And he blesses that kid's lunch and distributes it to the people that are gathered there. And there's so much left over that there's more left than what they started with in the first place. Nothing is wasted, church. And that is my message for you today. That your valley is not wasted. You take that up to God, you surrender it to him, you show him your faith, he meets you with his faithfulness. It is a beautiful, beautiful thing to draw near to God and experience him drawing near to you. But the first thing you need to do today is to pick up a shovel and to start dig. His provision is coming. Create something to carry it in. And right now, if you're in the valley, the provision of God that you need most is honestly just his presence. And so this is a time for you to carve out this time to contain that presence. And I just noticed something about people don't experience the presence of God when they're busy and when they're rushed and when they're distracted and their minds are split. When you've got something going on the screen, when you've got a smaller screen in your hand than a medium-sized laptop screen in the front of you, and you're just distracted in a million different directions, you just can't see, you won't see and experience the presence of God while you're distracted, while you're busy, while you're unfocused. 
start digging this week as my encouragement to you to sit down in the quiet with the word of God in your hands and say, God, I'm in the valley right now. And I don't know when or how I'm going to get out, but I believe I will. I believe I'm on a pilgrimage and I need your strength. Show up in my life. Give me your presence. And you'll move on to what that final verse calls from strength to strength to strength to strength to strength because it's his. It's not yours. It's his. Show me your faith and I'll show you my faithfulness. The thing is, God never promised that on this pilgrimage, on this journey, he never promised that you wouldn't ever go into a valley. He promised that you wouldn't go into that valley alone. The birthday party that I mentioned earlier, we got this phone call that just sucked all the air out of the room. What do you do? How do you come back from that? So we just did the only thing really that we could do. We circled up and this group of weirdos on a night that we were just crying because we were laughing so hard, we're crying now because of the inevitable medical journey ahead. And we pray. We dig. God, we need your presence. We need it now. And, and, and I'm not saying that there was like a second phone call that came that canceled out the first one. I'm not saying there was a miracle. There wasn't a double rainbow. There wasn't an audible voice of God. There wasn't anything, anything like that. There was just a group of weirdo friends in a circle on a very bizarre night praying and digging, waiting on the presence of God. And anybody who was there that night, I think, would testify to the fact that God is just somehow there, especially there. Right now, when you're done worshiping today, carve out a time, put it in your phone, schedule it, dig. Wait on the presence of God to pull you through this valley. If you want to, you can start with another song, number 23, that even though I walk through this valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, God. You are not alone. Let's pray together. Our God, today as we, as we pray to you with the valleys that we're maybe in and experiencing, but also the valleys, Lord, that maybe we don't even know are ahead of us yet, and we're going to experience them this week somehow. Um, God, I, I pray especially today that, that we dig and we wait on your presence, not for what you have to give us, but simply for who you are. God, I pray that you'll give us the courage, even the stubborn, belligerent, setting our hearts on you to praise you when we are on top of the mountain and to praise you 
when the mountain's in our way. Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen.